Hello, I'm Kyle Willoughby. Joining me is Claire White. Hello. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. We're here to talk about new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And I just did that without reading it off a screen for the first time ever. I'm so proud of you, Even though we're 70 episodes in or 65, (laughs) whatever. Anyway. You were such a pro. And then you ruined it by bragging about it. (laughs) I just want the people to know how off script I can be. (laughs) Anyway, today we are talking about a little thing called Black Mirror. Yeah. No, yay. <laughs> yay. yay. <laughs> I mean, if we are enthusiastic about the show, but if, if you've seen it or even heard of it, you know it's kind of a downer. <laughs> Black Mirror is an anthology show in the vein of the Twilight Zone showing self-contained stories of a not-so-distant future or an alternate reality that seems eerily familiar to our own. The show often puts technology at the forefront of the stories, examining the way that humans interact with it, and it in turn interacts with humans again. The show was created by Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones, first airing in 2011 on BBC4. And uh, Brooker writes the majority of the episodes, right, mm-hmm. right Claire? Yeah. I, I think there's, there's only two that I remember that he didn't write of all, all four seasons. Um, and Brooker and Jones share the responsibility of showrunner. The show was acquired by Netflix after two seasons. The most recent season, season four, dropped on Netflix in December of 2017 Claire will be covering Brooker, Jones, and the production of the show, and I will talk about Black Mare's very, very old history. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because I have no idea what it's going to be. Well, actually, I kind of do because you brought books into the studio. I did bring books. (laughs) I was planning on maybe reading excerpts from these books, but that that, it seems a little (laughs) (laughs) self-indulgent. The excerpts. These are books that you've written. <laughs> these are books. These are books that I've written. You can buy them on Amazon at the link that we will provide. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did not write Aesop's Fables, nor did I write Grimm's Complete Fairy Tales. <laughs> Ooh, take it away, Kyle. I'm excited. I will take it away. So Black Mirror is a fascinating show. It's one of those water cooler shows that promotes discussions and analysis with the people. With people you you might hardly know, just finding out someone watches Black Mirror, you're like, oh man, what do you think about this one? And like, oh, yeah. you know. And there is even like a whole you can have a whole discussion on ranking the episodes. There's millions of articles. So many out articles there ranking what are the best. And you know, worst I episodes. I thought those were really interesting too, but we'll talk about that. later. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Um, also, the amount of good, interesting, and engaging analysis of this show is is pretty incredible. There's a lot out there. Um, that does like you know philosophical analysis into what Brooker's trying to say and and what the show is kind of about at its roots. <laughs> you just ask Brooker. Well, she, yeah, it's true. That's the thing. You could just ask him. Um, but I don't think a lot of those are accurate. So one of the big descriptions I hear in regards to the show is that it's an anthology of cautionary tales about technology. And that it tries to teach us lessons about what our future could be. And I don't necessarily agree with this. Okay. So while Black Mirror, some episodes could be argued are cautionary or moral tales, the breadth of the stories told in this anthology are way too wide. And the morals and potential lessons at the end are too ambiguous. Oftentimes they can be distilled down to be careful what you wish for or look out, the government's probably spying on you. (laughs) Or one of our favorites on this show, the Frankenstein myth killed by our own creations. We tend to talk about that a lot. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Um, And I also don't think the show is anti-technology, which kind of gets leveled with. 
Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. At its core, I don't think it is. I think there's episodes where, you know, technology where it like seems like it could be anti-technology, but in the end the technology is a tool and it's the humans that are using it. I think it has a healthy fear of how humans use technology. Yeah, but it's also like I don't want people to think that Charlie Brooker the writer is a luddite and doesn't think doesn't think no. we should progress because he's definitely not. And you can see that in the way that the technology is handled and presented in the show, I think anyway. It doesn't come like he doesn't he doesn't sound like J.R. Tolkien just wishing that there were trees everywhere instead of yeah, industrialization. That, that, yeah. <laughs> that trees would rise yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that we are saying anything bad about J.R. Tolkien. We love Tolkien here. If anyone has listened before, you know that we love him. Uh, so, like, so like I said, it's I don't think it's necessarily anti-technology. I don't think that's the message. Um, to me, Black Mirror is a collection of modern fairy tales. Stories that can have a lesson in them, but that is not normally the point of the tale. Like the moral lesson is ambiguous sometimes or, or obvious and is just not the point. They're more they're stories that reflect a certain time or culture of when and where they were originally recorded or told. And lastly, fairy tales, just like Black Mirror, are stories that are oftentimes just really, really sick and effed up. <laughs> 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 um, it, which is true, which is it's true. true. The more I, the, I had this idea and the more I looked into it, I was like, oh my gosh, Black Mirror is Grimm's fairy tales for modern times, for, for modern social media times. Oh, wow. Well, please. I will. Okay. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll keep plowing ahead. So I want to go ahead and establish the difference between folk tales, fables, and fairy tales before we go any further because. And you're saying Black Mirror is a fairy tale. I'm saying it's a fairy tale. Okay. Uh, because it's oftentimes equated to a fable, which is a story with like a, a, a really hardcore moral lesson in it. So fables are a particular type of narrative in which animals, plants, or similar characters are anthrop- anthropomorphized or made to seem as if they were human. Stories of this type often deliver a moral lesson which may or may not be explicitly stated at the end. So like Peter Rabbit is a fable? Uh, Peter Rabbit can be a fabler, can be a folktale, I'm not sure, because it also has to do with the origins of said story. Okay. Um, some fables are the work of known authors, while others are of unknown origin. The best-known collection of fables is Aesop's Fables. Uh, Aesop was a Greek slave believed to have lived around 560 B.C., although it is uncertain whether he was actually, you know, ever existed. And and in fables, the characters are normally animals, or, you know, the sun could be a character, or the north mm. wind could be a character. One of my favorite Aesop's fables is that the sun and the north wind are having a competition to see who could blow this guy's coat off. Right. And the north wind's like, I could totally mess, I could totally get him to take his coat off. And the north wind blows and blows and blows and blows, but the guy holds his coat tighter and tighter around him. And the sun's like, all right, it's my turn, I guess, right? So the sun just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And the man, you know, starts sweating and eventually he takes off the coat. And the whole idea is that, like, the very clear moral there is that you'll you'll win more battles with persuasion than you will with force. Okay. And that is a fable, which is not the same thing as a folktale or a fairy tale. Um, now, to be a, a folktale, to be a true folktale, a story must have its origins in what we call the oral tradition. This means the story was first passed down orally by storytellers. Along the way, it may have had things added or subtracted as each storyteller made it his or her own. And folktales are instructive. They can caution the readers or the listeners about the consequences of certain kinds of behaviors or attitude, attitudes, but they don't necessarily need to be. Sometimes it's just about 
Paul Bunyan and his big blue ox, mm-hmm. you know, wrestling a tornado or whatever it is that they did. <laughs> I don't think they did that. But No, it was a different guy yeah, who, yeah. Who, who lasted a tornado. I forget his name. Um, and the characters are not normally complex. Instead, they are stereotypes. You've got like the thief, the liar, the clever youth, the evil stepmother, etc. So Cinderella is a fable. Cinderella oh, sorry, is not a tale. fable. Okay. Cinderella can be considered a folk tale. Um, or I guess you said, evil step- fairy tale. you said evil stepmother, so yeah. I went right to yeah. Cinderella. Yeah. But I always think of Cinderella as a fairy tale. Yeah. Okay. So things that happen in threes are really common in folk tales. Repetition of lines is also really common. I'll huff and puff and I'll blow your house down. Exactly. Because it's easier to tell a story that way when you have right. a bunch of lines that are the same. This is fairy tale. Yeah. Th- or this is folk tale. Things that repeat in threes. Okay. Now, fairy tales are very similar to folk tales, Claire, as you were saying. Okay. Cinderella can be confused. a folk tale and a fairy tale. Okay. Um, fairy tales are oftentimes even categorized as a subsect of folk tales. So fairy tales traditionally are also passed down in an oral tradition, um, although there are there are literary fairy tales, fairy tales that were written first, but traditionally a fairy tale is something, an oral tradition, Cinderella being one of those. That's a, that's a, a story that was passed down through word of mouth and then recorded later. Um, fairy tales, however, will possess supernatural elements normally, talking wolves, mermaids, magic, but, and witches. And folk tales do too sometimes. Folk tales can, but... But a lot of times it's it's not necessarily magic or supernatural elements. Paul Bunyan is not magic per se. He's just the strongest man that ever lived and he has some sort of, I guess, psychic relationship with a big blue ox babe who he can kind of tell to do things and will follow him. So it seems like magic, but it's not magic in the way that you're not going to find a, a – if you find a witch in a tower or a princess who's imprisoned in a castle guarded by a dragon – that would fall under fairy tale okay. as opposed to folk tale. Okay, I get it. Um, fairy tales like folk tales can be instructive, but they don't have to have an obvious moral lesson. And they don't always end happily ever after. Grimm's fairy tales being a prime example. And the and of most of the fairy tales that we know today, even... Hans Christian Andersen. Hans Christian Andersen, uh, uh, Grimm's fairy tales very famously do not really have happy endings. We know the Disneyfied version of them where it ended happily ever after. And there's a reason for that. That's not how they were originally recorded <laughs> and and told. Um, so I posit that Black Mirror is a collection of modern fairy tales that substitute magic for technology. And Black Mirror technology functions as magic does in a fairy tale, whether it's robots instead of talking animals or deals with an R&D department rep instead of deals with witches or the devil. And fairy tales don't necessarily have to be stories that have been passed down, right? Or- fairy, fairy tales nor- follow the oral tradition. They're normally okay. – you can have literary fairy tales, but that's more – that's told known as a literary fairy tale. It was okay. written before it was told and told So and Black told Mirror would be like a – Black Mirror, you could say, is a literary fairy tale because it was written down. I was first, thinking, I like, suppose. what's the word for a visual? A visual fairy tale. A visual fairy tale. <laughs> what's the word for visual? Visual. <laughs> a visual fairy tale. So I want to talk a little bit about the brothers Grimm, uh, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, or Wilhelm Grimm, if you're. I like. I like American you Wilhelm. Yeah. Were German academics, philologists, just like J.R. Tolkien was, another lover of fairy tales. Cultural researchers, lexicographers, and authors who together collected and published folklore during the 19th century. They were among the first and best-known collectors of folktales and popularized traditional oral tales. Um, But they were not the first to record and write down oral tales. However, 
They were among the first to record these fairy and folk tales in an oral style, which helps give Grimm's fairy tales that kind of that that more colloquial and down to earth feel, as opposed to some of the French authors who recorded fairy tales like Beauty and the Beast and and tried to write it in this very salon high oh, art style. Okay, okay. Um, and and it was it was really important to them. They originally went out on their story recording quest to study the culture and language of the German people. Um, and previous stenographers of fairy tales would often literize them. They they would try to make the stories sound fancier and make them more suited for what was in vogue in the literary art scene of the time. Right. You know what what are the what are the wealthy people going to want to read? You know what sounds cool? How do how do I wordy this up and flower it up? You know I feel like nowadays a lot of the fairy tales are being YA'd up. They are. They are all being YA'd up, actually. That's so many YA authors are mining Grimm's fairy tales. And you know what? But a lot of them are kind of pulling some of the original stuff out of them that, that maybe got Disneyfied oh, through the so, 1950s I mean, Yeah, but they're 60s. doing the same thing yeah. where like, they're targeting this audience and but, writing in a style that this audience will appreciate. But you know what? That also is very in the tradition of fairy tales and oral stories that they're constantly changed as new people tell them. So in a way, you're like, oh, that's not how it originally was. But at the same time, it is. It is how, you know, that's, it's supposed to It's supposed to grow really this way. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's what most people were trying to make these, these oral fairy tales sound better. Not the Brothers Grimm. They thought that the style of the people reflected a natural poetry as opposed to this arty poetry, which they saw as fake. Um, and as literary historians and scholars, they delved into the origins of stories and attempted to retrieve them from the oral tradition without the loss of the original traits of the oral language, which I think is really cool. And it, and it makes me think of an interview I watched with Charlie Brooker, who writes the show's episodes, talking about when he's writing like the big speech at, at the end of an episode, he writes it in one go and he doesn't go back and edit it because he wants it to he wants it to sound just like like he cuz normally when you're when you're giving a speech out loud you don't get to go back in your mind and edit it when you're giving like this this impassioned speech as you hold maybe a shard of glass to your throat <laughs> you're not you know the the emotions are telling the story that's a reference to an episode um and and that felt very oral tradition and very fairy tale and very brothers grim to me when i saw that i uh, saw that interview now, these stories were dark, too, these original fairy tales that the Brothers Grimm and, and other people like Hans Christian Andersen were collecting. Um, but they were very representative of what the working class, peasantry, common people of Germany thought about and dealt with. Um, princes and kings were the protection of these people and re- represented power. Thus, in a large amount of these stories, a prince will come to save the day or, or a king or prince is going to be your only way out of this terrible situation. This is what one thing I thought found really interesting, and I was reading through my book of Grimm's fairy tales, and, and noticing a lot more. Spinning, weaving thread, was a common job for women while they stayed home. Um, and and in the oral tradition of fairy tales, these women spinning thread at home were also the ones normally telling these stories to each other to pass the time. So how a woman approaches spinning in fairy tales is normally really important in the stories. An old spinster woman who is good at spinning and diligent about her spinning is often really wise and can help out whoever the main character is. Whereas there's all there's a bunch of stories that concern young, lazy women who suck at spinning or they don't <laughs> care to try to spin. Isn't that Rumpelstiltskin? Rumpelstiltskin can be interpreted as that. Yeah, oh, this, this, yeah. this girl. But... In Rumpelstiltskin, it's a little different because she's she's secretly a princess, and so she's you know she's able to kind of get out of that jam. 
But the young lazy woman who doesn't care to practice at spinning and doesn't want to spin at the end of the story will hopefully learn the error of her ways and have a better work ethic, also very German, <laughs> um, or she will suffer a terrible, terrible fate, also very German. <laughs> Another thing were witches. Witches were evil, and they worshipped Satan. And they were kind of representatives of Satan and sin in these stories. And that's another thing. It's something that the common folk of Europe were constantly worried about, being tempted away from the church or being tempted to the devil. And witches. And witches. Those also were, very German. They were very German. <laughs> those are real things that they thought were really out there or could happen, that, that some witch who was going to tempt them with food or sex or We talk power. about this in one of our first podcasts. I think it's our second podcast ever. Oh, yeah. Ever we talked the about witch. the witch. Yeah. And we talk about We do a whole thing on witches, if you're curious. Check it out. We've gotten much better, I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think... I think that one's still pretty good. So witches kind of fall into that, like, you know, treacherous path. Don't go fall, you know, don't do what the witch says or look out for the evil. Don't make deals with the with the witches or with sometimes Satan himself will show up in these stories and try and make deals with people. Um, and that was a real thing that the, the that these German folk were, were worried about. That was an anxiety that they had. Um, also, these stories, like I said, were not originally intended for children either. The original versions of these stories were gruesome and sexual and dark. And when the Brothers Grimm first published their first anthology of these stories in 1812, uh, they got complaints from parents being like, "These are we can't read these to our children. What are you thinking? And they were like... We didn't write. They're not for children, you know. Yeah. They, and we, for, a, they didn't write these, and b, they're not intended for children. Later, though, when they found that that was a more of a market, <laughs> they started wa- watering them down and and kind of whitewashing and changing some endings so that they could be intended for children because they sold a bit better. And that's something that has kind of continued ever since these stories were were written down. Um, Another thing was they were also usually smaller, more personal stories. They were not about the titanic struggles of armies and empires. Yes, there was often a lord or a prince, but these were things that uh, were common for people in that day. Everyone in Germany had a lord or a prince. In fact, Germany at this time was mostly cut up into lots of tiny little kingdoms and princedoms. Um, Pre-Bismarck. Pre-Bismarck, yeah. This is before the the unification of Germany. The stories sometimes included bestiality even, which is another big similarity (laughs) (laughs) with Black Black Mirror. Mirror. And uh, that is a minor spoiler, but it's from the first episode of the first season. I think that's how Black Mirror was introduced to the U.S., the one where the British prime minister has to sleep with a pig. Yep, and it's notorious. (laughs) They really really, uh, came out with a bang. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) And this is actually, like, that goes back to some of these Grimm stories. So, for instance, in the early versions of the Little Red Riding Hood, Little Red Riding Hood allows the wolf to eat her grandmother so that she can inherit her grandmother's possessions. Though after the wolf eats her grandmother to avoid herself getting eaten by this wolf, she has to have sex with him. Makes me think of, I don't think you like this musical, but it makes me think of Into the Woods a lot. Where Does, they, yeah. that's what Sondheim was doing, was he was exploring the darker elements of these fairy tales. And, which, which is where they came from. Yeah. It's one of my favorite music. I think it is my favorite musical ever. I, not to get too sidetracked, I don't love the music in Into the Woods. I feel like it's a, it's hard to sing along to. That's okay. And Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Anyway, I, well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a Little Red Riding Hood having relations with the wolf is makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. 
and messed up, and it makes me feel similarly to the way I feel when I watch some episodes of Black Mirror, especially the National Anthem, which is the first episode of the first season that we just referenced. Um, Now, the last episode of season four features three stories in one. Both Black Mirror anthology episodes do. There's another one called White Christmas, which was in season two that does the same thing. Um, And that's another common trait of folk and fairy tales, moving in threes. Uh, The character Rolo Hayes in the Black... uh, the Black Museum episode, who narrates most of the episode, is sort of set up as the devil, and he makes deals with people to test experimental technology that don't really ever work out for anyone. Yeah. And that's not a spoiler, because you know that going in. He's, <laughs> he's giving you a tour of a museum of dark and demented things. Now, Black Mirror does for today what fairy tales in the past did for humans. I think it helps them explore what the anxieties of the day are. We've just swapped out our fear of Satan for apprehension and witches witches for apprehensions at the way that new technology affects us and governments can watch us. And just like fairy tales of old, they occur. And social media. And social media, exactly. And uh, just like fairy tales of old, they occur in a world eerily familiar to the one we live in now, just turned a bit over to magic or science or darkness in general, like we're the dark places of the human mind. In an interview that Charlie Brooker did for GQ UK, he mentions that he sees himself as just someone telling stories at a campfire. And this, to me, is almost the epitome of what a fairy t- or fairy tale or folktale is. Uh, and I think it's about time that we adults start reclaiming fairy tales from Disney once again. <laughs> and I just want to shout out uh, to the Wisecrack YouTube channel, who have done a lot, two great vids, not, not a lot, but two really great vids on Black Mirror. Um, and to the Very Bad Wizards podcast, who also have a great Black Mirror discussion episode, which I really just wanted to pilfer all their ideas, but I decided to try and blaze my own trail <laughs> with fairy tales. That so is so that. cool. I hadn't heard of Black Mirror as a fairy tale um, before you mentioned it when we were talking about doing this episode. And also, who would have thought that the episode where we talk about fairy tales would be the one where we t- we're talking about a subject that deals with science fiction in the near future? I know it just it I just feel like that's exactly what it is for us. It's like our own kind of new modern version of fairy tales. That's how I see it. That's how I see Black Mirror and that's why one of the reasons I love it so much. Yeah. Cuz the a lot of the science and technology in it is magical. They they're able to create a perfect clone of someone with just like a hair who has all that person's memories and stuff. That's that's it's magic. magical, but it's also <laughs> on like you can believe, almost believe it. So maybe in the way that you were saying people believed in witches, because it, it just seems so close to reality. Yeah. We can almost believe it. Exactly. No, that's true. And that's just another similarity that they have, or that Brooker and, and Jones have running the show with old school fairy tales. Um, Kyle, that I really enjoyed that. That was so cool and so interesting. And I also didn't know the difference between folktale and fairy tale. Thanks, Claire. That's b- part of the reason this episode is coming out late is because I had to scrap some things. And... No, worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Um, so I'm going to not talk as about as something as in-depth as this. I'm going to talk about Charlie Brooker. But I'm really excited to no, hear he's this. No, super- I like he him. So cool. He's super cool. So uh, I'm just kind of go through his life um, up until the show. Um, As far as his childhood goes, the most important thing that I found out about him was that he was terrified of nuclear war as a child. (laughs) And he says that he genuinely thought that he was going to die in a nuclear holocaust. 
um, and that he has always been a fearful person and that has always influenced his voice, whether it be what he writes, what he says, how he acts. He is a bit of a nervous Nelly, it would seem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's important because yeah. it, it, the the show is a little bit scared. Definitely. Um, he left Westminster University early without a degree, and he spent most of his 20s freelancing for the PC Zone, which was a gaming magazine where he wrote about video games. Yeah. And he also did a regular comic strip about video games called Cyberwalk. Cyber Watts. Um, he says his 20s weren't his best. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wanted to write for TV but was filled with self-doubt. He was a gaming addict and he was watching lots of British reality TV shows. He started a website kind of to get himself on track and give himself a kick in a rear in the rear called TV Go Home, which uh, apparently the name was inspired by xenophobic graffiti. <laughs> And it was designed to parody Radio Times, uh, which I hadn't heard of before, but apparently it's a TV guide published by the BBC. But instead of writing about real TV shows, he would write about crazy reality TV shows that he made up. So one of the ones that he wrote about, I think, was like this guy was just like putting his balls in like weird places. <laughs> this are this kind of I could see this being like what Black Mirror can be yeah. born from. Is him just thinking of crazy reality shows. Right. Well, actually many see this as the beginning of Black yeah. Mirror. Um and TV Go Home actually became pretty popular. He drew up more than 100,000 readers a month, especially in England where that kind of sense of humor appeals more than America. And he said he retired it in 2002. Partly because he felt that reality TV was starting to mimic his blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this really helped jumpstart his career. He wrote TV reviews for The Guardian. He became the pundit on a game show called Games Republic. And he got to write for TV. He wrote for Channel 4, um, first for the 11 o'clock show, which is kind of like a British daily show. I know it helped jumpstart uh, Ricky Gervais's and... Okay. Um, he plays Ali G, Sasha Baron Cohen's Sasha Baron Cohen, okay. career. He also wrote for The Kit and Brass Eye. And he got his own series called Screenwipe, where he reviewed current shows and commented on how TV was produced. And Dead Set in 2008 was Brooker's first TV drama. And I think this is so funny. It's where people were living in Big Brother's house, basically we're the last to learn about a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and the final, the big joke at the end is that no one sees the show. Like they've been <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. And I remember hearing about it when it came yeah, out. I never saw familiar. it. But it had critical and commercial success. It received a BAFTA nomination for Best Drama Serial. And after Dead Set, he wanted to do a similar drama. And he said for a long time he wanted to do a Twilight Zone-style series. And really briefly, The Twilight Zone was created by Rod Sterling. And I didn't know this. It was created because he was tired about having his teleplays about social issues censored to appease corporate sponsors. But he worked out that if his shows were set in a sci-fi or fictional world, he could talk about whatever he wanted to. That's how H.G. Wells got around writing some of his stories Which for the is, British government. For all you haters, for, that's why sci-fi and fantasy are the best. Are so cool, exactly. Um, that's why there was so much sci-fi in Soviet... Uh, in the yeah, end, Soviet. Russia and, and the Soviet bloc. Um, so Brooker grew up a huge fan of the Twilight Zone, and he says Black Mirror was an attempt to do a modern Twilight Zone. 
He works with his co-creator, Annabelle Jones, who he's known for 17 years. And apparently they met at work on the 11 o'clock show. And she's worked on every show he's done since. And at the time when it was being made, this is around 2010, he said like there felt like there was room for a show that you didn't need five seasons to get the whole gist of. So what was popular at this time was Mad Men and Breaking Bad, which Booker says he loves. But he says... It felt like TV needed something where you could just watch one episode instead of five seasons. And I actually do appreciate that. And I I love Mad Men. I am three seasons into Breaking Bad. <laughs> we'll probably finish it one day um, when I can not Have be more anxious. Time, yeah. Um, but I, I do appreciate that you can watch one Black Mirror and you I, don't have to watch anymore to get a gist of the show. Yeah, I freaking love that, that it, it has an ending. You can sit down and watch one and feel sated because it ends, even if it's a terrible end. <laughs> so Brooker and Jones took several storylines to Shane Allen, who was the head of comedy at Channel 4 at the time. And Allen said he was dubious, uh, especially about the national anthem, the one that we were talking about earlier, where the prime minister has to sleep with a pig. Um, <laughs> apparently, they considered using another animal. <laughs> right? Yeah, like that would make it better. <laughs> What's a sexier animal? <laughs> What's a more acceptable animal? Oh, um, my goodness. And the thing is, it was a risk. Uh, British TV budgets are small compared to U.S. TV budgets. Uh, they rely on deficit funding, where distributors pay a licensing fee so they can sell the show to international markets. Anthology shows cost a lot, and a lot of times they have problems finding an audience because the audience doesn't have anything to latch on to. Yeah, you know, not, unlike your, you know, Mad Men's or your Breaking Bad's. Where you're following one character and you want to know what happens to that mm-hmm. character later. It's just like, nope, whole new thing now. You know, especially for what was popular at the time. Yeah. But it got picked up. The show first aired in Britain on Channel 4 in 2011. And they shouldn't have been scared. Well, I guess they should have been, but they didn't need to be. It was the biggest launch of Channel 4 that year with a total audience of 1.9 million viewers. The first episode where the prime minister gets it on with the pig. We love to talk about it. Had 1.6 million viewers. People wanted to see it. It's very enticing. You're like, what? That sounds so crazy. Actually, that's what stopped me from watching it for the longest time. Oh, really? I was like, I don't need to see that. And it also became an international hit. Uh, It sold licensing rights in more than 90 countries. Netflix acquired the U.S. streaming rights for the first two seasons, which they released in 2014. And it was a huge hit with U.S. audiences as well. The thing is, it's told in such a way that's so believable. And at the end, it's horrifying and it's, it's crazy. It's almost a reflection of the audience who's watching the show. Mm-hmm. The people well, watch it. It's crazy. And what I was reading this a lot. He makes these horror, Brooker creates, and Jones create these horrible situations that could be comedies. But yeah. he makes them so humane or he makes the characters so real yeah. that it can't be a comedy. Yeah, because it's just dark and twisted. Right. Like this would be a farce yeah. if anyone else wrote it. Yeah. In. 2015, Netflix signed Brooker and Jones to make 12 new episodes. This is after they'd done seven seasons one and two for the BBC. And this deal was reported to be worth $40 million for the worldwide rights. Pretty good. Now, this was a really big deal. 
because it was the first time a streaming company took a show away from a broadcaster that wanted to keep it. What? So beforehand, streaming companies had bought series that were about to be dropped. Yeah. Um, or revised love shows, say Arrested Development. And I couldn't quite get a straight account. It varied from which article I read. Um, but there were rumors that Channel 4 had wanted to produce a season. People were saying that no, like, we, they didn't really offer. Um, there were rumors that Channel 4 wasn't even given an option to match the money that Netflix gave Charlie Brooker. But the thing is, they couldn't have. Yeah. They don't have the money that Netflix has. And, of course, this is a whole thing about European TV where a lot of it relies on public funding. And they're saying, how can we compete with these American corporations? They're going to buy up all our good people. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I didn't realize that Channel 4 didn't want or wanted to keep it. I assumed that they were like, eh. No, I mean, could, why? it was a hit. Why wouldn't they want to I, keep yeah, it? Yeah, see, I guess it, I, I didn't know it was a hit because I didn't hear about it until it came to Netflix. But that's because I live in America and I assume that we are the center of everything. We are. <laughs> of course we are. Um, but the thing is, Channel 4 also couldn't give Brooker the budget. Yeah. You know, even if, like, they could match the money offered to him, the, Netflix just gave the show this huge budget to play with. And the Bro- Brooker's got to spread his wings and fly. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they were really excited about it. Brooker says the transition to Netflix was really seamless and that they just kind of let them do their thing, which, you you know, if the show was so good for the first two seasons, Why would you, you just it? would. He also feels like a streaming platform was what the show was waiting for. Like, he's making a film festival. And you can just choose the order that you want to see the films in. That's very true. Yeah, I remember watching him in an interview being like, we didn't have to worry about time slots on Netflix because if a football game was on one channel, we knew no one was going to watch that day. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think it is a really great way to see this show and you can watch it if you're in the mood for it. And, you know, you're not always in the mood to watch Black Mirror. So as far as... Brooker's aesthetics go. I'm going to transition to this. He says he isn't interested in aliens or traditional sci-fi, and he sees Black Mirror as speculative fiction instead of sci-fi. And it's speculating about how people will stay the same, not how technology will change, but how people will adapt to new technologies. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel it kind of ties into your uh, fairy tale. It's a fairy tale! Um, He did say that for the third season he had to make it a bit more outlandish because it felt like reality was catching up with the show which i think that's a bit of a stretch but yeah okay i could see where he's coming from a little bit and this is something else that i thought was really important and when you watch the show i do think this comes through he thinks that people are inherently good and when they get behind something ugly it's usually because they don't have all the facts um and i I I feel like that does come through in the show. Yeah. As far as how the show's done, it's done great awards-wise. It's won an international Emmy in 2012 for season one for best TV movie or miniseries. And an international Emmy is for a show not made in the U.S. It also won uh, an Emmy in 2007 for best writing for a limited series or, um, or movie and for outstanding television movie for San Junipero. San Junipero. And and this was last year at the Emmys. Um, As far as the fifth season goes, uh, Brooker and Jones both say that they have ideas and they'd love to do a fifth season. No deal has been announced yet. I think there probably will be. I don't know why Netflix wouldn't want to continue doing it. 
I wonder about it, actually, which I guess we can get into an opinion. Yeah, well, that was my segment. So why do you wonder about it, Kyle? Because Black Museum just seemed like like the end. It seemed to me like the end of the show. It seemed to me like it was talking about itself. I thought Black Museum, the last episode of the fourth season, was a meta critique of Black Mirror over all four seasons. Oh, it could be. But I also think that could be them saying, this is the end of our contract. We could end here. Yeah. But if they still have ideas, why not That's keep true. on going? That's true. Now, did you see the episode San Junipero that they I got their award I haven't. I actually want to put that off to be the last thing that I watch because I read such amazing things about it. Yeah, it's 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 really good. I, yeah, I won an Emmy. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... We're fans of the show, Kyle. I am a huge fan of the show, clearly. Um, and I was a little late to the party, but I, I work late and long hours sometimes at my job. So I'll come home and I'll have like one hour before I really have to go to sleep. And I'd sit down while my girlfriend was asleep, you know, and, and I'd sit down and I'd watch an episode of Black Mirror before I went to bed. Just and so it you became could have like a nice nightly ritual. Dreams. Just so I could have nice dreams. About there, pigs. Oh my gosh. There were times I wanted to jump out my window <laughs> because I was like, well, there's just no hope. There's no hope for anything. <laughs> um, you're the reason we're doing this uh, podcast I know. on Black Mirror. I, I pitched it hard. It's February. It's Black History Month. I thought we could do Black Mirror. And <laughs> then in two it. weeks, we'll do Black Panther. I thought it was perfect timing. Um. <laughs> Yes. What do you think of the show, Clara, since I was the Actually, one who kind of forced it on you? I hadn't watched it. And part of the reason I hadn't watched it was because when Kyle would talk about Black Mirror, he would say, and then I wanted to jump out a window. <laughs> and I thought, why do I need to watch that? And then he, I, but it was, again, it's water cooler conversation. I'd been hearing people talk about it. My dad loves Black Mirror. And I was really happy when Kyle, when we decided to do, when Kyle decided, when we as a team decided to do this, because I had been wanting to watch it and I wanted to join in on the conversation. And I, I actually, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, you And I do. haven't seen all of the episodes, to be fair, and I'm saving what I think is one of the best for last. Yeah, San Junipero is really good. Um, but I, I have, Kyle gave me his like top curated list. I, San Junipero yeah. was none. It was it was on the original list. Right, but you had your top. But then because there were so many, I was like, oh, I can't make her watch all these because you're practically watching the, every episode. Every episode, but like a couple from each season. So I picked my top four, mm-hmm. which San Junipero wasn't on. That's okay. No, I'm happy. I'm really happy to be saving it for last. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like it. Um, but no, I just think it's so interesting and cool, and it's nice to watch a non-anthology series. That's you mean an anthology series? Yes. <laughs> yes. It is very late when we're recording this, and I am <laughs> I'm doing great. Snap out of it, Claire. <laughs> um, but And I, I love that the quality is pretty consistent. I watched all of the fourth season, so I did watch a season in whole. And, I, I mean, there are definitely episodes that are stronger than others. But I felt that overall the voice was really strong and I was amazed that like for each story that was very different, that there, it was always a high quality of storytelling. Yeah, it was. I think the storytelling's always high quality. There's one episode I, I really don't care for. It's the Waldo moment. It's a little clumsy. People love that though. Really? Yeah, because yeah. I read a bunch of best um, 
Black Mirror episodes. Yeah. And it's just so interesting that people pick yeah, different ones, which I true. think then speaks to the show, that it yeah. appeals to so many different people. And one that I really liked isn't always at the top of the list. A few that I really liked always isn't yeah. always at the top of the list. Hated in the Nation is one of my favorites. I liked that one a lot. I also and liked White Bear. Yeah. Which some people don't like. Yeah. And it, you're right, the, the quality is really consistent overall. Like, you know, you're going to like some stories more than others. But the acting and the performances, I feel like, is also extremely consistent. Oh, yeah. And they don't, there's a couple stars, you know, there's, as especially as the seasons go on, they could John afford Hamm. money. John Hamm's in one. Haley Bryce Atwell. Dallas Howard. But I think Haley Atwell, Atwell before she was that, that was big. before she was that big. And Damo Gleason before, before he, he was, was that big. And everything. Yeah. So... So they do have a lot of, uh, like, a really diverse cast of people you haven't heard of that do a really great job. And when I say diverse, the cast is really diverse. There's lots of there's lots of women. There's lots of men. There's lots of people of color. I think color. the fourth season, they were saying that it was their season where every the protagonists were always female. Which they oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. I wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't read it. Yeah. Wow. It's good on good on you, Black Mary. See, that's just you just need humans in a story to tell a convincing story. It doesn't have to be all white dudes. Exactly. I also want to talk about every time an episode starts, I have a feeling of dread. <laughs> yeah, the, just, just the little noise. And, then, and there was a couple episodes where I didn't quite need to have that feeling of dread. Yeah. Then I realized at the end, oh, this is this isn't that bad. There's two or maybe three episodes that have a Quote, happy ending. I'm glad you said quote, because he was doing air quotes for a while before he said quotes. Yeah, I mean, but they're mostly pretty dark. One thing that I found that gives me anxiety when I first start the show, and this is total millennial, total technology. Uh, in the start of the show, there's a little, like, buffering bar, like buffering circle. And and then you kind of hear this weird, like, whoop, 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 whoop noise, and then it's really quick. And then you see the logo, and the show starts. Whenever I see that little buffering circle, I'm like, oh, man, the internet. And then and I get, like, stressed, like, like oh, is it not is something wrong with my Wi-Fi? Oh, no, it's, oh, okay. And I get it. I get a little flash of anxiety from that little oh, I, spinning I'm, circle. <laughs> I guess I'm not there yet. Yeah, I, may, I don't know. I'm just a dirty millennial who stares at his phone all day. You're like, oh no, what am I going <laughs> to do? What am I going to do? What's your favorite episode, Kyle? Well, I gave you a list of of the episodes I wanted you to watch, and I can't pick a favorite episode. We mentioned um, Hated in the Nation, which is the last episode of the third season, which I think is really good. I also really enjoy um, Be Right Back, which is the one mm -hmm. with Haley Atwell you and Donald Gleason. You know what? Gleason. On all the lists that I was looking at, that was almost always number one. Yeah, it's just so good. I didn't even realize it was Haley Atwell in it at first, even though we're such big Agent Carter fans. <laughs> and I was like, she looks really familiar. And I looked it up on IMDb, and my like jaw hit the floor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Haley Atwell. No, I had a thing of going to IMDb after watching the episodes and thinking, where have I seen this person before? And actually, in the last episode we were talking about, episode four, uh, sorry, season four, episode six, the last episode of the series so far, Latita Wright, who's kind of the main character is going to be in Black Panther. Oh, wow. I also didn't realize that Daniel Kaluuya, who's in an episode of Black Mirror, is also going to be in Black Panther. Yeah, and he was also in Get Out. He's everywhere these days. He was in Black Mirror before that, though. His Black Mirror episode is the other one that's kind of tied for first for me on my favorites. It's 15 Million Merits. It's 
very good. It's it rough. was really good. That was one of the ones you were like, you have to watch yeah, this. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite, Claire? Um, I really liked Hang the DJ. Oh, dang, the DJ is great. Um, and I also liked uh, White Bear. White Bear. They're really similar. I yeah. know. They're they not are, similar. Yeah, they're very similar. No, <laughs> they're, not they're not similar they're at all. Totally not. They're like exactly. And I, I liked the USS Callister, the one, the Star Trek one. Yeah. And that was the first Black Mirror episode that I watched. Um, and I, I had a rollicking good time. Yeah, that's a really great one. That's the an episode that they discuss on the Very Bad Wizards podcast, that I, which is one I, uh, I listen to to help prep for this. Uh, and yeah, it's a great episode. Uh, um, yeah, Claire, who is this for? You know, I honestly think not children. Definitely not children. But it's I not fairy it's a, tales for I children. I think anyone can find an episode. And I actually, my best friend, my best, two of my best friends don't like fantasy or sci-fi really. But I want to have them watch some of these episodes, especially ones that are making commentaries on social media, because I think they'll really appreciate it. Yeah. My girlfriend couldn't watch Nosedive, one of the really heavily social media ones. I think that's such an important one to watch. I know. It was really hard. It was one of the hardest episodes of TV for me to watch, period, because I hate awkward situations. I hate Meet the Parents. Curb your enthusiasm. I could never watch. I just hate it. And that whole episode was just like one big, not as funny episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. But it is so worth watching because it's a commentary on how we interact in social media and the anxiety that comes from it. It's great. Um, Who do you think this is for? I, I agree with you. It couldn't be for anyone. Now, the caveat being that if you have someone that you'd like to watch the show, you think you could watch the show, um, but haven't seen any episodes, you can curate for them. That's mm-hmm. the great thing about Black Mirror is that, you know, I'm not going to say, Mom, you, you should really watch the episode where the prime minister of Britain has to sleep with a pig. Cause I, think my my mom, da- I think my dad really liked that episode. Well, I know that my mom wouldn't like that, <laughs> but there are some episodes that I could be like, oh, you got, you know, family or mom or, or whoever, you should check this out because it's it's cool. And it's not, since it's it's an anthology, You don't, it's not like you have to follow it. You can just kind of give them the episodes you think they would like and people could watch them by themselves. And yeah, and you're talking about family. My dad doesn't like superhero movies, you know, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm excited about, he's not always into, but it was nice. I was visiting my parents last weekend and we all sat down and watched Black Mirror <laughs> which it doesn't like but we all enjoyed it yeah yeah and even my mom who doesn't really like gory or you know scary things she liked it yeah because it's yeah Black Mirror I think is really great it's, it's fun not, for the whole family it's fun for the whole family it is there's only one episode I can think of is gory but it's almost always uncomfortable <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Kyle Willoughby. And I'm Claire White. And we are dragons, sexy robots, and adventures in Nerd Manual. We are all three of those things at once. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com. And if you want us to curate some Black Mirror episodes oh, for yeah. you, send, yeah, send the requests. We'll, send a, we'll give you a list. Uh, we would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. You can find the show on Twitter at DSRA Podcast. I can be found on Twitter at Klex303. That's K-L-E-X-303. I can be found at along with Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can find our producer James at James Foey Jr. That's James Foey, F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. You can learn more about 
Grimm's Fairy Tales. Oh, super interesting. Woo! And Charlie Brooker. On our Facebook page, where we're going to post some of the articles and interviews we used in, in our show. I also want to uh, post the Wisecrack videos, which are not, don't pertain to my segment, but are about Black Mirror and a link to the Very Bad Wizards podcast, which I think is really good and people should listen to. Uh, our producer is James Foey. Our logo was done by Patty Highland, and our theme was composed by Pete Rowan. Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.